There's the big idea. If you go home and somebody says, hey, what did you learn tonight? This is your answer. Jesus is Lord. And if they say, how can you obey that then? There is literally your entire life to wrestle through that. So uh, you can converse for the rest of the night around that as you drink coffee or whatever it is you have at your campfire at your house. Uh, but that's the big idea. Jesus is Lord. Uh, next week we'll be looking at the church is Jesus' community. And then the third week we'll be looking at we are disciples sent to make disciples who make disciples. And that's the next three weeks of trainings that we have. And then the fourth week of this month, we'll be having a meeting. And so if Missio Mesa is your home, whether you'd say, hey, I'm a member here or I'm a missionary that gathers here with this community, uh, that will be a place for us to come together to share some stories, to pray, uh, to see what God's been up to across our community in the last year, and to look forward a little bit to say, hey, this is what it looks like he might be doing in 2023. Uh, we've learned that we don't predict the future because nobody knows what's really coming, uh, but here's what we think God might be stirring up in our midst. And so uh, before we get rolling, though, I'm going to have put one quote on the board because this is a, a really, really important one. It says, it's impossible for a person to learn what they already think they know. It's impossible for a person to, this isn't from the Bible, that's not one of your Bible's authors, in case you're starting to write down references, you're not getting that. Um, but it's impossible for a person to learn what they already think they know. And it's an old head name, so you know it had to be a legit quote. Here's what I want you to do. Turn to one other person around you and say, I agree or I disagree. Or it could be three of you. You can go try FECTA if you want to. I agree. Here's why. I disagree. I just don't like the syllables, whatever it is. Uh, but you've got about 20 seconds to give your opinion on that. And then I'm going to pull you back because we got to roll tonight. So ready, set, go. Agree, disagree. What do you think? Five, four, three, two, one. There we are. All right, whether you agree or disagree, here's why I throw that up first. Uh, because as we come into another year, uh, many of you have been following Jesus uh, for a little while, whether it's weeks or months or years or decades, uh, that it's easy for us to make assumptions when we come to the person and work of Jesus. Some of it I've learned based on what people learned when they were fifth graders by the dear sweet lady who taught their Sunday school back like almost centuries ago for some people, but that first formation was so powerful that they just assumed things about Jesus based on what that one person shared with them or that one belief system shared with them and never get into the word of scripture themselves to say, oh, who was Jesus? What does his kingdom look like? Even if you had great loving spiritual parents who raised you up in the faith or taught you things, I guarantee there's parts of your faith that were more opinion or perspective than they were the person and work of Jesus. And so what we're doing as a church over these three months is taking time in the Gospels, uh, most of it not on Sunday, but taking time in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John to look afresh and see who Jesus is. And the ask of our church, our community, the family of people who call themselves Missio Mesa is that you would come in and as much as possible look afresh at Jesus and his kingdom way. Not to have your confirmation bias patted on the back, but to let Jesus in the best possible way disrupt you to cause you to be convicted and recognize there's areas where all of us have missed Jesus a little bit. 
And so as we read chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3, chapter 4, chapter 5, chapter 6, chapter 7 of Matthew, I really do pray, if you've made it through even just one of those, that the Spirit's doing this subtle work of starting to show you who He really is. Um, And I put that quote up there because if you're coming in saying, like, I've already read all this. I get it. Jesus, God's Son, was born. There was wise men. And then he went and did this thing and where he got baptized and dunk, and then the spirit came down like a dove. Then he went out to the wilderness, weirdo. And then he came back and then he had this sermon that he preached that was pretty gnarly and it was long. Uh, Kenzie's reading with us and she was really loving the stories. And then you hit the Sermon on the Mount and you're like, yo, why'd you just start talking all the time? I like the stories. Um, but he's in the middle of that where he's preaching, showing this is what a kingdom way of life is. And it's covering everything from how we fast and how we pray to how we view our sexuality, to how we view marriages, to what we do when we worry, to who's actually blessed in the kingdom from his very mouth. It's beautiful. So that's what we're doing. Uh, The next three weeks, our our main text is going to be Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Um, It's on the screen. If you also want to turn there in your Bible, you're welcome to. Matthew 28, 18 through 20, you guys, for many of you, it's not uh, obscure text. We talk about it often. It's the end of the book of Matthew after Jesus has lived and died and risen again. Uh, These verses come out, and I'm just going to read them. Uh, Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee. The 12th one was Judas, and he hung himself at this point. To the mountain where Jesus told them to go. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Love that both those types of people are present in what Jesus is about to say. Those who were on their face a minute ago just worshiping him. And those who were like, I don't know, Jesus, this seems a little sus. Right? So it's both. Like both those that were worshiping and all in and aware of the gospel events and excited about it. And those who were uncertain and not sure, is he really who he said he was and doing what he said he would do? This has been a whole lot of information to process in the last few weeks. And then Jesus came to them and he said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So let me give you the rundown of the context. If you're just dropping in here, this is the end of the book halfway through your Bible. Uh, Jesus is God's own son. He's the promised Messiah who was the forever king come to reunite heaven and earth together again. He was going to rescue a community and restore creation as he brought the kingdom of God. He spends three years with a group of people. His lineage in the beginning of Matthew we recognize goes back to Abraham. And then in Luke we see it goes all the way back to the beginning of humanity starting with Abraham. Tracked it down so you can see real dude, real time, in real history, born to real parents and can track his lineage. But he announces the message that's clear. The kingdom of God is finally here. And some of you who think you are lost are now found. And some of you who assume you are in are actually not. He demonstrates the good news of the kingdom in signs where he puts back to right things that are not the way they're supposed to be. He forgives sins. He shows and tells people what it's like to live in unity with God and with one another and creation again. He promises that when he leaves, he'll send his spirit to come and empower his disciples. Some rejoiced at that and others recoiled at Jesus and this good news message. In fact, it's a long story in short, but as a result, 
of Jesus' message and his life, he's murdered for it. The Romans and the religious had come together and decided it'd be better for their kingdoms if Jesus was dealt with permanently. And what's more permanent than death? Turns out, Jesus is. Uh, Jesus doesn't stay dead, but just like he promised, he's resurrected. And as a foretaste of what's to come in new creation, he spends a few more weeks with his disciples. And then we come to this text where he commissions them. Both the doubters and those who are full of worship are sent out to bear witness to the good news events. Gospel simply means good news. The good news was that Jesus lived, Jesus died, Jesus rose again, and the kingdom was now here. God didn't send the professionals, but everyday people. And as this good news spread, the Spirit of God opened eyes and hearts. Disciples were made, churches were formed, and people all around the world were rescued and then redeployed as disciple makers themselves. And that's the story that this fits in. A nice little context. The Spirit does something powerful, very much to the point that fast forward a few thousand years, we sit here today in Mesa, Arizona, as descendants of this moment that people took this commissioning seriously. And so what I want to do tonight is start off with this simple statement that changes everything. Every follower of Jesus for the last 2,000 plus years has had to come to a place where they make the statement, Jesus is Lord. That first word Jesus said, that all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, that they say that's true. As you track through Matthew, you see it's true of all the first disciples. As you track through church history, you see it's true to this day. At some point in our lives, we have to respond to the good news of Jesus, that he's the king, that he reigns, that he stands above it all, and live our lives in a response to that, or decide we don't want to buy that. That's not real, that's not for us, and we're going to be our own master or choose someone or something else and some of us though um, we're going to be a little bit probably controversial on this one Uh, some of us can say well in my head I know that to be true but in my life I want to believe differently and you might wonder where that came from and I'm going to go ahead and just let you know where that belief comes from that we can hold something in our head but not have to have our lives changed by it as the gospel moved from Palestine which is like where Israel is uh, on out it picked it picked up an unwanted Greek hitchhiker, uh, this philosophy by a dude named Plato. And I was thinking through this, and it's not really a hitchhiker, but they didn't have an image for this. Uh, when I was young, kids, or adults, because you guys are crazy too, I'm not saying you should do what I'm about to describe, okay? This is one of those things at the beginning of the movie, uh, you should not attempt this. Uh, it was not done by professionals, but I'm still here, and it doesn't mean you should try it. Uh, when I was a kid, I didn't hitchhike, so you guys can be grateful for that. Uh, but I did do a thing. We called it skitching. I don't know what the technical term was across cultures. In South Jersey, we called it skitching. And what skitching was, did anybody do this? This is a term that's used more than, awesome. Well, we got two punks. All right. Um, so what skitching is, is if you were on a skateboard, uh, you would come up behind a moving vehicle, Bonus points if it was a bus. Again, I didn't say this was a good idea. But vehicles did not have cameras when I was a kid. 
Only the really creepy ones that you really didn't go by. Uh, most vehicles did not have cameras. And so what you would do when you sketch is you would sneak in behind the vehicle, hold onto the bumper, and duck down with your skateboard so you could get as much speed as you could. And preferably, if you timed it out right, when they made a turn, you got whipped straight and went as fast as you could. And the hope was that you held on and you were propelled by the momentum of the vehicle and you didn't fall off your skateboard because that really hurt because those weren't really made to go 30 probably. And so we called it sketching. So maybe that's a better description of what Plato did on the back of the gospel. Bet you'd never hear that. Uh, so philosopher Plato on the back of the gospel as it went across is he held on to that and people started to see things. Uh, yes, Jesus and the Hebrew way of looking at the world, but then also this Greek way where we can hold truth in our mind but not have it shape our lives. Because what Plato taught, and I know, I know this might seem heady, but what he taught is that there was ideas and there was the physical world. There's ideas, the thought things, the things that are in your mind, upstairs, lofty, good, and brilliant. And you aspire to those things. Those are the most important. So what you know in your mind became the ideal. And then you could also live your life a certain way. And the physical stuff didn't matter as much as the mental stuff. And so somehow along with this gospel, which for Jewish people was always integrated. Like Jewish people had no problem hearing that God is absolutely sovereign and we need to pray because prayer changes things. And they would look at both of those things and be like, God's bigger than me. God's smarter than me. God holds it together. Both those must be true. Uh, Greek thinkers would come to it and Greek thinkers would look at it and be like, but how could that be? And until I can understand at the most basic level how this works out, I'm either not going to accept it or I'm going to stand outside and critique into it. Fast forward another, I don't know, 1,500 years, a little bit past that, when the Enlightenment comes and America's born. And all of a sudden we think, even more so than them back then, that hold on a second. People don't get to tell me to do things. I get a vote on everything. My personal preference is actually the most important. And I'll accept the parts of Jesus I want to, and I'll reject the other parts that I don't quite like. And there's not really anybody who can tell me any different. And the parts of us that feel that way, and it's in all of us, it's not just there, it's in me and it comes around, uh, comes because Plato sketched on the back of the gospel as it came across to us today, this view that maybe in our minds that we could hold on to these beliefs and not have to actually do what it says. Why do I say that? Because the elephant in the room of Christianity is that you can know all the facts and still not love anyone. That you can know all the stories and still not be faithful to the commission that Jesus gave in this text. You can show up to all the Sundays you want and still not be any more forgiving or patient or kind or gentle. And that's the elephant in the room of Christianity today, even where people look at the church and they're like, that's more jacked up than even my group of friends. But Jesus is offering a different way that's a holistic way of looking at our lives together. And it starts with that declaration that might be dividing, but it's also clarifying that Jesus is Lord. 
When we read in the text, we see it in the first few parts. All authority has been given to me, therefore, and then he goes on to give the commission. He starts with that. Uh, here's what I'm going to have you do. Turn to a few people around you. If you want to whip out your phone, you're welcome to. If you've got a pen or you're taking notes, you're welcome to do that. Um, and just take two minutes. I'll put it on the clock. Uh, when it says all authority, what spheres of life or what pockets of life or what pockets of creation would be covered by that? And if you write the word all, you're that person and I won't shame you publicly. Uh, but you can also go ahead and list a few of those out. Uh, what are some of the ways, uh, when it says all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, what are some of the spheres that that would go over? The kingdom of God basically means the reign and the rule of God. So when the reign and the rule of God extends over all, what are some of the pieces of life that are covered in that? Uh, list some of those off with a few people around you. If you're like, hey, I'm not sure I really believe that to be true, um, what are some of the spheres of life that this is claiming to have authority over? As you list those things out, the, the follow-up question that we're not going to answer in those smaller groups uh, tonight, but I'd encourage you to uh, think through, which of those are harder for you to trust Jesus with? Usually the first ones that come to mind are the ones that we can see as reigning and rule and be like, oh, cool with it. The longer we think and the ones that we have to pull out and say out loud tend to be the ones that might resonate a little bit deeper and be like, man, he is claiming to have authority over every area of all of my existence. As a king, there's not a, there's not a part that he does not cry out over all of creation. This is mine. Like, like he's claiming to have all authority in heaven and on earth, which is just encompassing for all of it. Like I am the one who lived and died and rose again and I have authority. And that authority, my kingdom stretches out literally throughout the cosmos, the world, the globe. And the call is for us to say, yes, you are Lord. Uh, 700 times in the New Testament, the word Lord or Master is used of Jesus, that he is the ruler, the king, the Lord, the one who stands above and reigns and rules, the one who is all-powerful, the one in whom our lives find their hope. And so whether it's for our personal life and those pockets and those closets in our life that we don't want to give Jesus quite that lordship over, he says, yeah, that's already mine anyway. I bought the house. I get the room too. Uh, whether it's our business and the way that we run our business practices, whether it's our home and the way we order it or our marriage or our dating relationship, for our parenting, for our finances, for our sexuality, for our retirement, for our social policy, all of that falls under the lordship of Jesus. And if we say, if we say, this is for us, fam, if we say we're followers of Jesus, we're disciples of Jesus, that necessarily means that he gets a say into all those areas of our lives. That, that's what we said when we said we follow Jesus. That's what we said when we said we bow our knee to you and give our allegiance to you, Jesus. That's what we said, is that he is Lord who reigns above it all. In the ancient times, kings would imprint their icon on coins. Uh, they would put up statues. They'd have temples. They'd send out messengers to remind people that this is who reigns. This is the Lord. This is the Caesar or the king or the emperor 
or the czar, whatever it was, every government did this because they didn't want people to forget who's in charge. And here's the beauty of what Jesus does. Check it out. Jesus says, I'm not going on your money. I don't care who you print on your coins, but I want you to use your money in line with my kingdom agenda. And the way that you use the gifts that you've been giving are meant to show off that I am a good king. I don't care who's on the coin. I don't care that it ever said, in God we trust. Because the joke of that is that we trust the money that it's printed on way more than the God that it says it points to so often. He says, I don't care what's printed on it. Use it in a way that honors me. He doesn't put up statues but he created all of humanity in his image and then renews them to look more like him as they grow, as we grow in his kingdom life. He doesn't even build up massive temples of stone to allow people to see his greatness and splendor and power. But the first Peter would tell us that he made a temple of living stones, of people, of his image bearers, of his servants, those who would love and serve and care for humanity and his creation in a kingdom way. And says, as you live your lives together, that's the temple where my glory dwells. Not some massive building somewhere. Uh, not this place that you have to go to. But literally in the homes and the sports teams and the businesses that I'm sending you out to start and sustain throughout all these neighborhoods and the cities you call home, that's where my temple goes. You are my temple. And as you gather together as a people, that temple, the glory of it even emanates further. If you're reading in Matthew, that's his words. Let your good work so shine before men. Not so they say, boy, you're amazing, but so that they glorify your Father who's in heaven. Live life in a way that you are a light to others. And then with messengers, he sends us out as ambassadors to not only share the message of the gospel, but our very lives. Uh, Jesus never said, go and make disciples, and by that he meant, go ahead and tell some people some facts about God and hope they say yes. But the invitation was to go and share your experience with Jesus in a kingdom way of life in real time with others so that they can see what God is up to in the mixed up messiness of your life. Not just on some perfectly portrayed profile on social media. The doubts, the questions, the insecurities, the loss, the loneliness, the disease, even the deaths that we experience, experienced with Jesus and his community are meant to be a light to others that also claim Jesus is Lord and while life can still hurt, we still have hope. That's what they were sent out to be ambassadors of. Not to be a protected, perfect people who only engage with other people who seem like maybe they could convince into something, but to love your neighbor, whoever they may be, to run businesses in a way that they are for the good of your neighbor, like God always called people to. When Paul wrote in Colossians, he was writing public truth for the front page, not a private opinion on the final page of his letter. 
He writes it like this, the son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. Jesus is before all things and in him, all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. That's what we are. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead so that in everything he might have supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him, Jesus, to reconcile all things, whether on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. When he writes those words in Colossians 1, he's casting this beautiful picture of Jesus who has all authority. And the call for every follower is to say, yes, Jesus is Lord. Now let me figure out my life in light of that. Not to say, here's the parts of my life I really like and I'll fit Jesus into the margins where he fits. A second piece that goes with Jesus is Lord and I'm gonna put it up here. Obey is not a four letter word. For those of you math majors, you're looking at that and you're like, yes it is. But for those of you who are more than math majors and can understand a little bit of nuance, uh, you'll recognize that four letter words are often the words that people are not supposed to say in certain settings, right? There's some settings where I guess you can say them and there's other settings where you don't. Uh, but sometimes, somehow, in the life of the church recently, if you look across America, the word obey has become a four-letter word. Don't you dare tell people to obey Jesus. They are invited, they are welcomed, but would you really tell them to submit or obey? And if we look at Jesus and what he says, the answer is absolutely yes. Uh, in the text that we just read, it says, teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded. A discipleship in this text has three components. Uh, one, to identify as kingdom people through being baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We're going to get into that next week. And then he says, teaching them to obey everything that I commanded. He did not say teach them to know or think about or have come to mind or write books on or have podcasts or preach cool sermons. He says, teach them to obey everything that I've commanded. And the cool part is the third part, it says, uh, and remember I'm with you to the very end of the age. Um, that last part that we're supposed to do is remember that Jesus is with us, that we are not just sent out to work for Jesus, but he is with us to the very end. But that second one, teaching us to obey. Uh, Jesus' people, Jesus' disciples, Jesus' church was always meant to be a people who obeyed what Jesus taught. Not who just knew it. Not who just thought about it. Not who knew the right answers if quizzed on it, but who were actually doing it. The rich young ruler in Jesus' day got that. When Jesus said, sell all you have and follow me, it says that that guy went away sad because he didn't want to do it. The wind and the waves couldn't ignore it. When Jesus told them, be still or be silent, they stopped. They obeyed him. Uh, the demons oppressing people knew it was true. And so when they came to Jesus and they cried out and the person was looking for mercy and Jesus saw them and they cast the demons out of the people who were being oppressed by them, they left. They didn't argue. They didn't say, who are you to tell me to obey? They knew they had to do it. But some reason we often doubt that Jesus really means what he says. But if our allegiance is with King Jesus, then our lives should increasingly look like the life of Jesus that's ongoing discipleship. The things that break Jesus' heart increasingly break ours. 
the sin that destroys his creation, we increasingly disdain. The weightiness that we bring into the world by our choices, we bring and lay at the cross and find healing in Christ. It's the sort of thing that doesn't just affect what we do at 4.30 on a Sunday or 6 o'clock on a Wednesday, but it shapes all of our life. I was driving in a truck with a friend, and uh, he had recently come into a community that I was leading. He was a follower of Jesus. Uh, when he came in, um, he came into our gathering space, and he had two girlfriends. Uh, sometimes they actually both sat next to him on either side. Um, that was always awkward, because they always sat in the front row, and it would be like his mom, him, and then his two girlfriends, and it was just like how it rolled. Um, so people... It's the real world. It's messy. Um, and so he had that. Uh, he dealt drugs. He did drugs. Um, and he had a whole long list of stuff. And I remember because he had sat in there on like, I think it was like a Christmas day. That's why you should do Christmas services. He sat in there on a Christmas day and he said, hey, uh, here's all the mess in my life. If Jesus is real, do you think he could help me? True story. That's his question. I said, I would love to tell you more about that. I also have to get home for lunch because that's the other downside. And so we had a little chat there and we talked more later on. Uh, and so we're driving along in the truck. This is this dude a few weeks after he's a follower of Jesus, uh, just brand new into the community. And he leans over and he asks, um, so, so when are you going to tell me to stop? And then I ask the question, that's seven years of theological education, or maybe those that are technically trained in listening as therapists know, this secret question. I just looked at him, I was like, Huh? And he's like, when are you going to tell me to stop? And I was like, I have no idea what you're talking about. You're in the passenger seat. We're cool. Um, and he's like, no, I know I have all this stuff in my life that isn't the way Jesus would want it. When are you going to tell me to stop? And I remember this because it's one of the few times that I answered succinctly and well. usually get one or the other in my life. <laughs> and I said, hey, man, I'm not ever going to tell you to stop. When you feel like Jesus brings something up that he wants to address, I guarantee you all of that list you have will be on it. You let me know when he starts bringing it up and we'll work through it together. But what he got, and, and there's a whole lot more to that story, but what he got in that moment was that if I'm following Jesus, clearly that affects my other decisions. The substances I'm taking into my body, the sex that I'm having, the relationships I have, whether or not I show up in this gathering with two or three different females and then go deal drugs, that's probably out the window now that I'm following King Jesus. But something that happens in that moment uniquely and intuitively for people sometimes get lost the longer we're disciples because we find a better way to rationalize some of those pockets. And the invitation, again, is to come afresh and bow our knee and say, what are the places in my life where Jesus is not actively reigning as Lord, and what does it look like to lay that down? What if we started 2023, uh, Missio, with the point of view that Jesus is Lord, and I'm gonna figure the rest out as we go? Like, what if that was our first statement? That's the first principle. That's the point of view that we're starting out with, and everything else will come through that. Uh, that's the invitation for the first part of our year, to start that way, to pay attention as the Spirit brings stuff up as you read through the Gospels, to not silence his voice when he speaks and says, hey, this is something that is not leading to your flourishing or for your good. Hey, this is something that is actually pulling you away from joy and life and wholeness. Would you follow me? 
Uh, what if we said we're starting this year as individuals and our Missio community saying, all right, I'm gonna follow Jesus. Simple, but life-changing. Would you guys pray with me? Jesus, uh, we are so glad that we come into this space, are filled with laughter with one another, to hear words of hope that you're a king who is good and who reigns and who is just. But even to have the convicting words spoken over us again that you are Lord. And so Jesus, would that be a cause of joy in our life, knowing that you lead towards life, that you are a good king, not one who's just looking to take away experiences, but who wants to lead to flourishing. And I pray for our family that we would increasingly be willing to respond to you as the king that you are with our knee bowed. And in the uncertainty, we would lean in towards trust, uh, knowing that there's no point in the entire story of God where you have not been faithful to do what you said you would do. And so Jesus, uh, we ask that you would continue the work that you began in our midst tonight as we're sent out from this space in just a few minutes. Speak to us, change us, make us those who are able to love well. We ask this in your name and by the power of your spirit, amen.